Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ifdecker, a medieval historian, and today I'll be tackling another big series, currently just books, but soon to be a TV show, Wheel of Time. And as my guest today, I have the person who convinced me to spend the last year plus reading Wheel of Time, my original Media Evil co-host, Ollie Brady. Hi, Ollie. Wheel of Time. See, what Sarah doesn't realize is that I'm editing this episode. Sorry, Sarah, you're going to learn that now. I'm editing (laughs) this episode. And the intro music I just used, um, again, you don't know anything about this because we didn't play intro music before we started talking, is the song Wheel of Time of Blind Guardian. <laughs> and I've synced it up so that that's when he would have said Wheel of Time. <laughs> and I'm going to have played it over the background of myself talking because Perfect. that's how much I care about <laughs> Wheel of Time. I did not know that was a song. It's... Oh, it's brilliant. Uh, no, wait, wait, hold on a second. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> But it's hard not to when they're talking about like the dragon is reborn and stuff like this here. It's hard not to get into it. Um, and it's got a strangely Turkish kind of sound to it. Sure. I was going to say Middle Eastern vibe, but it's definitely a Turkishy kind of tinge to the music. Anyway, Wheel of Time, best fantasy book series ever written. Um, don't care what anyone says. I know there are certain people on this podcast who are great big Tolkien fans, or as I like to call them, racism fans. But as as a wheel of time. (laughs) Go Christians. Wheel of Times does have some racism problems. Not sorry. Uh, Lord of the Rings does have some racism problems. Oh yeah, I was wondering what you were saying. I was like, what? (laughs) Did they? Well, I suppose they do a little bit. But anyway, Sarah. How did you come to this book series? <laughs> I came to this book series because, I mean, I love reading just large fantasy series. That is very much like my book wheelhouse. And do you convince me to give this one in particular a shot? Um, Wheel of Time, I just want, I just like, I took down statistics. Wheel of Time is in total 15 books, 14 books plus a prequel novel. It is in the paperback version, 11,898 pages. Uh, I did not explicitly experience the paperback version because I just had this like massive single Kindle edition of this book that I would be like, you would be like, oh, where are you in the book? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like 12% of the way through the series. Who knows? Um, Yeah, it was the shocking thing about this is that there were a lot of times where I, Sarah would be telling me about something that was happening in books. And just to preface this, I love this series. I've loved it as long as I can remember because I started reading it when I was 11, I think, right? And um, I've read it multiple times because I'm one of those idiots. There were lots of times Sarah would tell me about something and like, I'd know instinctively. I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, so that's like near the start of book five. And I'd say something like this, like how far into book five are you? And she would always give me these weird stats. (laughs) Like... Oh, according to this, I'm 27.4% through the book and I have an estimated reading time left of 411 hours. You're like, what? 
you could just just tell me where in the book you are. Like that's what I want. Because that's all Kindle tells you. I mean, like I could have like more usefully been like, okay, I'm on like chapter twelve. But in terms, yeah, that would have been helpful. Yes, that would have been much more helpful. But then you actually have to like look that. Like, I don't know. Like I, I always found that more complicated to look up. And so I would just be like, okay, so this is like the percentage of the entire series that I'm the way through, yeah. and like this is how I've many. I've got two hundred hours left, Ollie. I'm so close to the end. <laughs> what? And like, if I just sat down and read and did nothing for a week but read Wheel of Time, I'd be finished. Yeah, that is very, like, there was a few times she'd be just, oh, it, it says here I'm 75% of the way through. I'm thinking, like, what is 75% of the way to time? You're in book 11? <laughs> like, that's that's how normal human beings talk, Sarah. I'm, I'm in book 11, Knife of Dreams. I'm in chapter 3 of book I would tell 11, you what book I was in. The Return. But anyway, um, I, I, I was just wholly happy that Sarah was reading it. Yes, and I had a ton of fun reading it, but it took me just in case, and in, for those interested in delving in in the future who have not read it, although if you have, you, uh, I will be, there will be a warning for you coming soon. Uh, it took me 15 months to read the entire series, and that is with some breaks. There's a couple other things that I really wanted to read, so I would pause between books. But in case anyone's interested, I would say, like, you know, I think you could solidly read this book series in like about a year. Yeah. Um, when Sarah would take a break, I used to call those the barren times <laughs> because then my Wheel of Time discussions had stopped because when Sarah started reading this, they had just announced the TV show. Yeah. So as a, a what fan, um, you had lots of people talking about it at that particular time. And then... As the news on the the TV show kind of dried up, you uh, people just kind of fell off yeah. it. So there was nobody talking about it. I'm like going, well, I don't want to go and rejoin the forums <laughs> because I'm past that part of my life. It's it's not 2012 anymore. I don't want to be online arguing with somebody over a small minor plot point in book seven. By the way, I was completely correct, but um, the amount of the amount of Words that I committed to online forums is shocking. So uh, just as a kind of lead in, so uh, we'll be, as I said, talking about Wheel of Time, which is a book series published between 1990 and 2013, created and mostly written by Robert Jordan, although he unfortunately died before completing the series. And my understanding is it was originally there was only supposed to be one more book, but then Brandon Sanderson, who took over, made it three books. Yeah, so the last book, um, Knife of Dreams, he, he died after Knife of Dreams, which is book right. 11. I think it was, he said he was going to try and finish it in one book. Yeah. It was originally meant to be two. The idea was that he would finish it in book 13, mm -hmm. um, because 13 is, a, it's an important yeah. number in the series. I mean, everyone knows Unlucky Number 13, but in The Wheel of Time, uh, if you have 13 evil magic wielders, you can convert, forcibly convert yeah. a good magic wielder to become evil. So the idea of doing it in 13, it's you can link magic wielders mm -hmm. together. And the idea of 13 is the strongest possible link. So that's what he was aiming for. Could you imagine how many pages would be? I mean, those yeah, yeah. last two books, like... Even if we cut out all the Andrel stuff, uh, it's still. <laughs> but like the last book itself, A Memory of Light, is 900 plus yeah. pages. 
and so imagine just the idea i just have this image of this like monstrous fucking thing on my shelf and requiring like a stand to open it up like because like you might as well if you're going to be doing that level of yeah. reading you might as well have a big stand to hold it up so brandon sanderson and you can there are lots of people who hate brandon sanderson and for for what he did to finish the books there are lots of people who are existing brandon sanderson fans who think i've seen this written down somewhere um I want to find these people and shake them. Who say that the last three books are better written than the first eleven? They're not. No. Like, they're not. Like I am not the Brandon Sanderson here. He's a really, really nice bloke. He is not a better writer than Robert Jordan no. is. And I find it disingenuous when people go, "No, he is," but he is. No, he's not. Like, and he yeah. didn't. And reading them, I will say it. You know, it it took me a little while to adjust to his writing style. Once I got used to it, the books the, the books are great. Um, I don't like, I was worried I was going to be disappointed with the last three books and I wasn't. Yeah. Um, he, that's what, he did a, he did a job that no other writer really could have done. He did his best to ape a style, which is very individual. Yeah. Like, yeah. And not- you know, I felt ultimately like, I think he did a very good job. I wasn't sure that they necessarily made me want to read other things by Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson is, for want of a better term, extremely woke, right? In a genre which is full of neckbeards who like to write about women getting attacked and being weak or who are just sex objects, looking at you, Patrick Rothfuss, Uh. uh, I don't care how many people want to tell me that you're a brilliant writer. You write women fucking terrible. Oh my god, every single um, one of them is a sex object. Like, I I read the first two books I gave, of the Kingkiller Chronicles. Like In the Name of the Wind and Wise Man's Yes. Um, and, like, because, like, they were both out and, like, they are, I will say, like, he's terrible at writing women. They're interesting and well-written enough books that I finished the first and was like, okay, I want to read the second. But now that I've had that distance from them, I don't think I'll read the third because I just get yeah. angry every time I think about how he writes women. Whereas Brandon Sanderson is the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the people who are throwing criticism Brandon Sanderson's way are the same neckbeards who don't understand why Oh, his two two of his big fantasy series the main character is a woman well how I can't I can't read this series because the main character is I can't identify with Vin you're like that's interesting well then don't I'm slightly surprised to hear that uh, in that I am slightly surprised to hear that somebody who likes Gawain has um, (laughs) otherwise decent optics he felt like he could redeem yeah. it. Um, but as I always say, in countless situations, and you would not under, you would not believe how how relevant this is in everyday life. Uh, fuck Gwyn. Yes. <laughs> so this is probably the good point, by the way, to say there will not be a traditional plot summary because it's 15 books. We're not doing like a straight just like plot summary. I don't even know how many characters there are. 80? I don't know. There's like, there's a lot. Did you just say 80? That's too few, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I meant like characters that I could probably name offhand if I sat down. And like when you get into the like, like I bet we know the name of like 
I, there are what, like 200 Asadai? Like, I bet you, like, know, like, I bet we know the name and, like, something about all of them. I'm sure I don't remember the name or something about all of them. Now, Sarah said we're not going to do a traditional breakdown of this, but I have nothing but time, people. So strap in <laughs> while I recount the tale of the Dragon Reborn from start to finish. <laughs> 11,898 pages. Here we this go. is going to be a long one. So, yeah, so there will not be a traditional plot summary. However, we will be talking about things from throughout the series. So that does mean that there will be spoilers. So if you have not read the series and would like to, or are hoping to go into the TV show fresh or whatever, uh, you you might want to pause and maybe come back to this episode later because uh, there will be spoilers throughout. Yeah, there will be a lot of spoilers. I We're not going to do a full summary but we're going to talk about what happens over the 15 yeah. books. Um, I think Sarah has some talking points, which we're, we're going to get onto in a minute, but I think we, we could probably give an overview of the series without needing to talk for yeah. an hour at this point. I mean, we could, we could probably do in 10 minutes and describe what's going on. So Sarah, how would you describe the plot of Wheel of Time? So Wheel of Time opens, more or less, with uh, the fact that you are following these three young men who are, and by the way, if I pronounce something in a way that sounds wrong, feel free to correct me because, uh, you know, I'm reading the book and I know there's a glossary at the back, but it's like a lot. So yes, you get to correct me on pronunciation for Wheel of Time. Oh my God, people. I I literally was like, this is my chance. (laughs) (laughs) So there are these... uh, Three young men who are identified as uh, being Taveran, which uh, are sort of people who kind of have this ability to kind of change or manipulate, not entirely intentionally, the pattern and kind of the way the world works. And uh, one of them is uh, assumed to be the Dragon Reborn, the reincarnation of uh, a man known as the Dragon. He's just called that. He's not an actual dragon who was the individual who was the kind of last uh, kind of big person who was the kind of main person responsible for having fought and then successfully imprisoned the Dark Lord years and years ago. I don't know how many years. Do you know how many years offhand? Uh, 3,000. Years and years ago. Uh, So Luz Theron. And then basically that there was like a backlash basically. And so there and the dark one placed this taint on the male half of the one power. So the kind of magic system is that there's the one power and people can, who use magic are said to be able to channel and kind of channel into this power. And there's essentially, there's a male side and a female side. So he puts this taint on the male side of the one power which basically means that all of the men who use it go mad and become the worst. And Luz Theron in particular, uh, you know, murders his entire family. And does he kill himself? He <clears throat> draws on the power so much um, so that he overdraws, that he literally runs, destroys the earth underneath his feet yeah. and causes a seismic uh, eruption right. which results in a dragon mount which basically is uh, it creates a volcano and this volcano is the tallest mountain in the and world. then according to the prophecies the dragon reborn will be born on the slopes of dragon mount just one thing to, to, 
to be to talk about there that Sarah mentioned is the importance of the separation of the yes. magic system in this world, the power system, into male parts and female parts. So there are two different power sources. Think of them as yin and yang, because that's the symbol that they use to represent mm-hmm. them, is that women draw from a power source called Satan and men draw from a power source called Sadar. So the reason that I'm going to bring this up is because I'm a physicist and Robert Jordan was a physicist. Mm. Think of them in terms of direct current and alternating current. So they're doing the same thing. They're in the end of the day, they're both forms of electricity, mm-hmm. but they're not the same thing. And you can't use direct current in a device that uses alternating right. current and vice versa. So men are attuned for alternating current. Women are attuned for direct current. So what happened was that the dark one, the equivalent of the devil, 3,000 years ago, tried to break free because some people went evil or turned evil and were like, oh, hold on a second. This devil guy seems pretty cool. We're going to hang out Let's with him. let him out. <laughs> exactly. So they drilled a hole into his prison, the creator pr- imprisoned him at the start of things. So think of his own personal hell. And they drilled the hole into where he was right. basically in prison. And the dragon is the guy who was like, I'm going to go seal this hole. Yeah. And what happened was the women Aesidae, or magicians, uh, or witches, whatever you want to call them, said, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> and it was only men who went to seal that. And when they put the seal on, the last thing the Dark One was able to do was to lash out and attack the men who were sealing him in. And that's why the men's right. power source is tainted. So the women's power source is still clean because they weren't involved in the thing. And that's what happened is so it's become tainted. So any male magic user who uses that mm-hmm. form of energy will go mad. It's not, oh, you might go mad. You're going right. mad. It might, take, it might take a shorter or longer period of time, but you will go mad at some point. The main character in the books goes mad. Yeah. There's no other way to describe it. He is. He has visions and is talking to a person who isn't there. Later on, another magic user um, tries to heal him of the madness. And the way to describe how his brain looks with the madness on it is is no. crazy because she's like I I can take this out and she heals somebody who'd only been using magic for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and she's like well I'll try and heal you and she tries to heal him and it's like oh no <laughs> nope. like, this, is, this is not happening so that's the other interesting thing about it is that our main character the the entire focus of the series the dragon exactly is mad he he goes insane and he's still a good guy but there are points where he 100% completely loses yeah. it and you're you're following a character who is insane yeah through a lot of the story yeah so we follow these three boys and then it uh so they go with uh one of the uh Aes Sedai and Moraine and uh, her warder so uh people traditionally men who are bonded to them um and then like tend to be people who are more closely like people they tend to be people with fighting skills right i mean um yeah because one of the benefits to becoming a warder is that you get increased reflexes yeah and strength and endurance yeah 
So they are discovered by Moraine, who we learn in the prequel is explicitly going around looking for the Dragon Reborn. And she basically like takes these kids because she knows one of them is the Dragon Reborn, but isn't 100% sure which. And then ends up, it turns out that they're, they end up being then basically like followed by two of the young women from their village. Uh, Egwene? Egwena? Yeah, Egwene. Egwene? Uh, most people would pronounce it Egwene. No, but like the back of the book says Egwene. Okay. So I've always pronounced it Egwene. Egwene, who is uh, initially um said to be how you know is initially has some kind of low-key romantic-ish attachment to round which does not last yeah it's a small village they were you know all but betrothed yeah i mean they're kind of like attractive people from families who get along of the same age so it's basically like yeah they'll get married whatever um and and her mom is also trying to marry off rand's dad because rand's mom uh, has passed away he's his dad is a single dad character named tamal thor we'll talk about later yes what a great character yeah all dads should aspire to be tamal thor he's a good dad so uh Egwene goes with them and we learn pretty quickly that she is with them in large part because she is interested in studying to be an Sedai. that she is I can't remember why she knows this, but that she thinks for whatever reason that she is able to channel. Because um when Moraine meets her mm-hmm. and anybody who can channel, which is what they call using magic, so right. just think they allow the magic or the electricity to flow through them. So they channel the electricity. A, a female magic user can sense it in another way. Mm-hmm. So she senses it in Egwene and asks Egwene some personal questions. And it turns out that Egwene is good at healing people. Mm-hmm. And she has multiple times healed people beyond the point where everyone else had given up and decided right. that they were going to die. I wish she could have done that to Robert Jordan, but um, she had managed to do this. And Moraine is like, well, I think that you are going to have the power. Right. I can sense it in you. So you should come with us as well. Yeah. So she comes as well. And then they are basically followed by Nynaeve, who also is somebody who is able to channel. She has something of a block for, I mean, for actually a lot of the series against being able to do so unless she gets extremely angry, which is fun because it is not hard for her to get extremely angry. And I really actually enjoy that about her. <laughs> uh, when I when Sarah started reading the series, I knew before we even began that Nynaeve was going to be if not her favorite character, one of her top three, yeah. I knew it was going to be Maureen. Yep. I knew it was going to be Nynaeve. And if I was going to pick one of the male characters, I would have said it was going to be Lan, but I could see her really liking Perrin as well. Yeah, I really liked I mean, Perrin. Yeah, I knew she would. I Just for, of the main characters, I find him the most boring. Um, <laughs> but that's just, I, I, I just don't think I identify with his character whereas identify with matt so much <laughs> matt really grew on me because in the initial like couple of books he's kind of an asshole um yeah and oh yeah 100 <laughs> and then like really interesting things happen to him and like and he's very much one that like you can kind of see like he like grows up <laughs> this is a thing that um i'd say i'd say a lot of men it's a, it's a common thing that men would describe themselves as is 
that they wake up in the morning and they still have the mental age of a 12 year old they, they still like I love that in all of Matt's POV characters he's still the same character from yeah the first four chapters he's still constantly thinking that stuff is funny but then you can see him he's talking about like well I better not say that was funny though like and you can see that he's learning to interact with the world and he goes from living in a small village to being in castles yeah and he's like okay and he's always like "Ugh, i don't want to be responsible i don't want to have to do this and then he always does it anyway yeah he, he falls into responsibility so much because he's tavern right which is they attract li- you know life events to them yeah so they go in like there's a there's a couple of scenes for example where uh, we might as well give the game away. The main strongest Taveran of them is Rand, since he is the main character, the Dragon Reborn. And there's a there's one of the books, and it's this is one of the things I love about the series is Robert Jordan takes a book where he just has no Rand in it. Yeah, he just completely skips it. He's like Rand has gone. Rand's gone on the run, and all of the rest of the book is them trying to catch Rand. Yeah, and they're following him. And they're just seeing the aftermath of what happens. So Rand goes into a village and then suddenly everybody decides to get married. So all of these people who were in just relationships suddenly are like, oh, we're getting married. Even people who were only in casual relationships are getting married. But then there are other... So that's that's an example of good stuff that happens. Yeah, but then on the flip side, there's like five people who had died in like weird freak accidents. And it's, it's not because Rand is neither good nor evil. Yeah. He just... The, the fate is swirling around him like a whirlpool and sometimes it's going to the edge and sometimes it's going to the sinkhole in the right. middle. And the edge represents the highs and the sinkhole represents the lows and that's what Rand represents. And Matt and Perrin, to a lesser extent, also have this around them and Matt just happens to involve him getting more and more and more responsibility heaped on top of him. Yeah. It's funny to think that the kid who... Always wanted to be a lord. Always wanted to get out of the small town. By the time it's finished, he is effectively an emperor. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, well, I would say consort of the empress. Since, but yeah, and then and then Perrin's thing is that he finds out eventually that he has this, like, link that he can talk to wolves. And, like, basically, and, like almost like exist like he doesn't like shapeshift but he can almost like exist as a wolf essentially yeah um, so he yeah. takes on wolf-like qualities uh and when we say wolf-like qualities in a, in this oh god i don't know how explicitly we're not going to go down the whole plot i realize we've had this for 20 minutes um <laughs> there are multiple dimensions in this series so in one of them telar and riod which is like a dream world the wolves can exist in the dream world right and he becomes a wolf that's the only time he ever yeah. transforms into a wolf is when he's in a dream in the real world there is none of that mysticism kind of stuff like he can communicate with the wolves but he doesn't change shape or anything like that just for the record we're scratching the surface of what's we, going oh absolutely on in this series <laughs> but yeah he could talk to wolves and it's cool yeah I mean, so of course, he's like my favorite of the band, like a man who can just like hang out with dogs all the time. Like that's the goal. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and they're all super friendly to him, yeah. except for one who was really mean to him. But then, you know, they become friends. Yeah, no, like exactly. That. Like, you know, he just like hangs out with dogs. Like that's 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 what I'd want to do. Hmm. 
so they leave with Moraine because Moraine knows that one of them is Dragonborn, doesn't know which one it is. They go and they start picking up the rest of their party, basically, or meeting the other characters who's going to be in. So we meet a character named Min, who can see the future in a very limited way. Because... She sees like images around people's heads, basically. And if she can interpret them, they will always come true. And that's very important later mm-hmm. on. Then we go and we meet Elaine, who is a princess. Yes, and which does mean in this particular country that she is the heir to the throne. That yeah, it's, she will be the queen. Yeah, that it is a country in which the presumption seems to be that only women would inherit the throne. And so she... Are she going twins? She is the younger sister. Okay, yeah, so she's actually younger, right. And so the presumption is that she will inherit, and then there's sort of roles that her brother is assumed to have, as it, that is assumed to, in theory, have, but, like, he is not eligible, really, to inherit the throne. Or as we sort of see in practice, in terms of what happens in Andor, like, a kind of mess of assorted claimants to the throne, depending on how things are going, but... I meant uh, we can we can talk about that later on, but um, I love that whole stuff. There's a lot of people find that that section boring, but the whole who's next in line to the throne when it's clearly Elaine, right? But you can also understand after what happens and how it goes down, you can also understand exactly what right leads the other factions to not want her to be like I said. The, yeah. There's so many layers to this. Yeah, the short and the short version, by the way, for those listening, is essentially that her mother uh, makes a number of extremely poor choices, influenced by a man, or so it would seem to an outside viewer. But what's actually happening is that she is is that that man is one of the forsaken, one of the like basically companions of the devil, and that he is uh, essentially like magically influencing her. So it's not just that like she's dumb. It's that she is literally being basically like controlled by magic. Yeah, and when when Sarah says it's not that she's dumb, I I again this is something I was so immersed in for years. Um, it's generally regarded that Morgase is one of the most intelligent oh, people yeah. in the entire series. Um, so like there's power rankings you can go find them. Uh, I could probably give you the exact address <laughs> on the internet to find them because I wrote a bunch of them but um if you if you look there are also intelligence rankings and Mm -hmm. she's always in the top 10 she's an incredibly astute woman she was running their country magnificently to the point where other kings and queens that we meet throughout the eight or nine books they have nothing but admiration for yeah even the people that she was de facto at war with have nothing but admiration for it there's a point where the neighboring country who they're mortal enemies and have been for thousands of years when their ruler dies because he's a scumbag and Tom kills him. Good job, Tom. Um, When he dies, uh, Tom Merlin um, lives in the woods like Tom Bombadil. He he does not. He's he's actually useful as a character. Um, I was going to say, I don't uh, think he's a Tom Bombadil type. No, he's not. Um, But uh, so... The, there's a legit movement to have her become the queen right. of the enemy state. That's how in high regard yeah. she is. But because she was under the influence um, 
like if we bring this down to the level of a Harry Potter, you know, so we hate trans people now for some reason. But if we bring this down to the level of J.K. Rowling, they're under the Imperatus course. Right, um, yeah. it's You know, because she didn't definitely take that from... <laughs> Although I will say like this, it's really interesting because it's very complex that there's also a very clear explanation that, I mean, it gets kind of revealed more explicitly throughout the book, but that there's different layers of compulsion that there's essentially one version that basically like there's certain like you can't do things that are against the will of the person but like the way you behave in most aspects of your life might lead people to think that you're normal and like you can't do things of your own initiative it's just that you would be stopped from doing things of your own initiative that would be against the wishes of the person exercising compulsion and then there's the like intense end of the spectrum where it basically breaks your brain so that you can set somebody off or it's like a marvel character it's like winter soldier you read the right mm-hmm. code words and it things off and there's no evidence of it like if somebody has been compelled or under compulsion there, there's no it's not like suddenly they they change the mood they'll do something and then talk about it normally afterwards. yeah like it oh it's the, the way it's written is just it's wonderful. And in the last book, there's like this particular, like I actually really love how subtle it is that we find out that the main generals in the last battle, that all of them are under compulsion, but they're under compulsion Mm. in this way. That's so subtle that like they basically, like they think that they're like fighting the battle to the best of their ability. And then they keep making these little mistakes. And it's only gradually that you realize that actually everything that they're doing is set up to make them to like sabotage their tactics and make them lose the battle, but that they don't know that this is happening to them. It takes a long time for other people to realize that this is happening to them as opposed to, you know, that like they were tired and screwed up. Yeah, exactly. Um, So we, we get Elaine, she, doesn't join the party just yet, but she's going to in, right. in book two. Um, they they separate or whatever. They go their separate ways. Stuff happens. They eventually get to the end of the first book where Rand has a showdown with the Dark One, with the Devil. Yeah. And he has, might as well describe it, as a full-on fist fight <laughs> with the Devil. Yep. Because when Robert Jordan was writing this, this was back in 1988-89, published in ninety he wasn't certain that he was going to mm. have a, he wasn't even certain he was going to have a five book series right. but he, he was told it's a standalone book so book one has an ending mm-hmm. book two has an ending yeah like you could finish the end of book two and it could be it would be in my mind the greatest duology of just two books out there mm-hmm. you could get but each time it had been successful enough for him to get the green light right. the tree. It wasn't until book three that you have an ending, which clearly is set up right. to continue into the next book because that's when he got the long form contract, yeah. which is something I've talked to Sarah about a lot is that a lot of other writers weren't or aren't under those constraints specifically because of the success of Wheel of Time. Right. So George R. R. Martin, doesn't have to have a definitive ending to Game of Thrones. And he never will. Well, well, he's not going to have a definitive ending to the series. Um, But the first book of Game of Thrones clearly is setting up for stuff in book two. Right. Right. I mean, the entirety of it is 
this is like we're going to have a war now and the war is going to take place whereas because the first book of the wheel of time the eye of the world he had to nail an ending yeah just in case it didn't get picked up for a second book or whatever. right and you know and, and martin at this point like he has certainly uh you know i i won't include game of thrones spoilers in this podcast episode but you know there is a huge cliffhanger right at the end of book five that has not in the books been resolved because he hasn't written them um although it was obviously resolved in the show because that's over but it's mm-hmm. like an intense cliffhanger and like i remember I mean, and I remember reading it and being like, Jesus Christ, like, when's the next book coming out? <laughs> to which the answer is never. Um, but, you know, it's a lot. I, I remember the cliffhanger you're talking about. Um, I, it's one of the few times I've picked up a book and thrown it. <laughs> Finishes up, has a fight with the Dark One, leads into book two. They discover a thing called the Horn of Valir, which is meant to be used in this final confrontation between the good side and the evil side remember that's going to be book 14 <laughs> a long way away yep. uh, uh, but again because it, it ends up getting used at the end of book two yeah because the idea was that that could have been the final battle because he didn't know right. if he was going to be able to write on it but um if you're reading it when the, i was reading it you're like okay i mean the, you know they blew the horn like but obviously you know that that was like yeah. the minor horn blow <laughs> The uh, the weird thing about that is the the horn has uh, the grave is no bar to my call. I have considered getting that as a tattoo. Um, Do it more than once. I don't have tattoos. I'm never going to have tattoos. The idea is that you're following these characters, the female characters. Uh, God, the female characters. <laughs> Jesus, I I understand that that's correct, but I can't help feel incelish. To describe the women in a book as females. Right, it's like every time you hear the word female now, it's like, no. Yeah, that's what it's like. They've ruined the use of the word female, even when you're correct to use it, because a female needs to be more feminine. I actually literally commented on that in an article that I did peer review on anonymously. Good. I'm delighted you did. <laughs> that like you 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 can't do this. Like you know, every time you wrote female, you need to change it to to women. Like you can't you can't you can't do this anymore. <laughs> so the younger women go off to uh, Lady Hogwarts, which is Hogwarts for women to learn to be magicians or witches or whatever we want to call it but also like um, more badass Hogwarts. Like this, you know, like this is like yeah. I mean, you know, Hogwarts is a school for children. Like this is for grown ups. <laughs> Yeah, even though they're, they are 13, 14, 15, I think. I think Elaine's 13 and Egwene's 15. Um, or Egwene's 15. Uh, when they go into the thing, like, you're going to... There's a legit chance of death. Yeah. In, it's called Tarvalon or Valon. And it's where the Ace of Dies, their seat of power. It's where the main Ace of Dies, the Queen of the Witches, Tamirlin. Or sorry, Amirlin, sorry, Tamirlin is the male version, um, which doesn't get mentioned at any stage in the book. Don't no, it does not. I was like, I have never heard that word before. Uh, that's that's the rank that Luz Terran had. So that's Ran's character 3,000 years ago, the original mm-hmm. dragon. He was the Tamirlin. Mm. So he was the head of the male Asadi. Again, no reason for me to know that. I have no idea how I know that. Um, but so the idea is that 
they are learning to be magicians. And that's when they bring in my favorite thing in the books is they color code the witches on what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. And I know Sarah's mentioned she's going to bring it up later on and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But they then bring in the idea of this black hidden secret Asia. Yes. Um, or group of the women. And I just think it's fantastic. I just, I love it. I love yeah. it so much is that it's like, again, I, I, I'm going to compare this to Harry Potter because it's hard to talk about yeah. how much of the Harry Potter universe is just a bad, and I love Harry Potter and we've talked about this loads of times, here, but it's just a bad facsimile of what's going on here. And in particular, so, also, so the Ajas make so much more sense to me because I've been like grumping a lot recently about the fact that, so there's a, there's a tweet that expresses very well that, um, you know, that it's basically like founder of Hogwarts talking to the school board and goes, so we all know there are four, four types, types of, of children, <laughs> uh, smart, brave, evil, and miscellaneous. And the school board's like, yes, continue. And it's like, this is ridiculous <laughs> that you're like, you like sort these 11 year old children into these houses that then like define their personal characteristics, like forever, apparently. And so I really mm -hmm. like that the Aja is like, you choose your Aja. I mean, they have to agree to let you in. But, like, you choose your Aja slash your Aja, like, chooses to accept you based on your skills and abilities. Yeah. yeah. Only at the end of your, I mean, I was going to say seven years, but seven years. Like, when you become a full. Minimum. Yeah, like, when you become a full, full last Sedai, which, yeah, would normally be seven years. Although we obviously have some characters who, like, like, it starts to get wonky with certain of our major characters. Yeah. We're, a lot of people complain about this because, basically, the three characters that we follow in Tarvalon are Elaine, Egwene, and um, Nynaeve. And they're all brilliant. Yeah. Like, they're all the strongest power users that we've had in 1,500 years, um, with the exception of Katuan, who's a badass, and that's She's the great. other character that I think would be your favorite. I love her. Um, I love her so much. But <laughs> she just, just... She's the mean grandmother everybody needs. Yeah, she's <laughs> awesome. Um, but they... They are awesome at everything automatically. Mm -hmm. And the amount of times I've had arguments with people going, they're Mary Sue's. They're, oh. they're all Mary Sue's. We call them the super girls because they're Mary Sue's. And they're going, you know, you do understand that Matt, who has no yep. formal training, just beat four swordsmen who do have formal training yeah. in a fight with a stick. Yeah, yeah, like Matt, Matt, Rand, and Perrin have the same thing, basically. They've all got it. Yeah, they're all because the idea is that the the creator God has effectively engineered these people right. to fight the last battle for him. Right. Because on the other side, the Dark One has engineered his people. Yeah. To fight the last battle for him. Right, and like and, that was very clear to me. I feel like relatively early on was that like there must be something going on in the universe that like the moment when you that essentially like at a basically the same time as the dragon is reborn you also like people are suddenly stronger and like a number of these women are stronger in the one power than like has been like normal for centuries mm -hmm. 
And it makes sense because they're required. Yeah. Right? And even when we talk about the heroes of the horn, they, the, the idea is that anybody who dies, you're basically reincarnated, right? So right. time is a wheel and you're a thread in the great tapestry of the world and your thread can get used. But then if you imagine a jumper, they unravel it and then put it back mm-hmm. in. Right. So if you're making this continuous long tapestry, we don't need this, the tapestry from 4,000 years ago again. Right. So they'll pull it apart and then weave you back in. And if you get woven back in, you're required. And some of these hero threads will mm-hmm. always be heroes and will always do significant things. Right. So just think of it as a gold thread in a red shirt. Mm-hmm. If you see it, it's going to stand out. Yeah. So these heroes can be recycled as a world. So they have 20 different lives and 20 mm-hmm. different sets of memories. The female characters, these like Egwene, Elaine, Neneve, Olivia is another character we meet later on who's just like incredibly strong mm-hmm. in the power. They're required. That's why we have them. That's why they're there. And it's a very male-oriented genre or always has been right and you get a lot of people going mm, yeah they're so good they're all mary suits but the reason i was getting to the black asia is that we have all this good asia and the interactions with the black asia starts bringing us into the bad guys yeah in the books which is what we call dark friends they are people who are evil yes and have decided to side with the devil now it's a really weird thing because obviously we're following and supporting the good guys right and we're good people or at least one of us is. Um, supposedly <laughs> supposedly and it's hard for us to get into the mindset of why somebody would pick what is going to be bad like the, like right the that devil wins. explicitly like we are the side of evil would you like to join the side of evil i mean it's, I mean, it's similar to um star it's wars it. in some ways right that's like you know like who's like you know that there's like the like oh who's gonna like be like yeah i want to join the dark side exactly so because it's so obviously good versus evil they have to keep themselves secret right and they've got secret handshakes and secret words you know but they pop up so often you can never tell when a, whether a character is going to be good mm-hmm. or evil. Uh, there's one character in particular that we meet in Tara Vallon. Um, we meet her in book two. Uh, and you, uh, we, we're going to talk about her later on. Um, her name's Varen. And she's amazing. So, what a character. Uh, she's in the brown Aja, which is the nerd Aja. So I yeah. especially appreciate her. <laughs> She's out, and that's that's one of the things. Sorry, the the ashes. Just to, when we we talk about, I, I was comparing it to Harry Potter houses, and there's four in the ashes. The color just represents the stuff that you're interested in. So gray ashes represents people who are in the logical, and they're usually used as mediators, right? And they'll be sent out to governments to form peace treaties. They're they're still magicians. They still do all the same yeah. magic stuff that everyone else can, but they focus on that sort of stuff. The white ashes are like philosophers, they're thinkers, yeah. because the idea is that they're not picking a side. So they're not even used in the same way that the Grey Age is. They're used as 
equivalents of Plato and they're having right. philosophical conversations. Brown Asia are for people who are interested in books and history they're the researchers. and historians and the researchers and they are looking through and they're trying to find you know how what sort of information can we learn that allows us to not repeat the same mistakes that we did in the past. They are incredibly important characters, yeah. as Sarah would tell you. Uh, Green Aja are the ones who are mostly more powerful. They generally tend to have the slightly more powerful uh, power users, and they're the ones who are more interested in men. Mm-hmm. They're also traditionally uh, the battle Aja, and so they, they tend to be presented exactly. as more interested in men, but it also makes sense that like they more consistently have warders and have multiple warders because they're the ones that are more likely to be going into battle. Sorry, and that's what I meant yeah. by interested in men, as opposed to, like, they, they love men because they see the worth in men because they are more into the battles, and that's in the world of the Wheel of Time as we're in. Men are for fighting women are for basically ruling effectively. right with a couple um, of exceptions the the prime there's yeah. a there tends to be in most of the cultures the assumption that the main people who have a military role are men yeah then we get the blue asia and they're the you know behind the scenes we're involved in causes you know if you were a vegan you're likely going to end up being a blue asia because your cause would be to go and fight for animal rights if you are somebody who wants wind energy to be changed, you're more likely to become a blue Aja because again, you're, you're fighting for the, the environmental or the environment um, to a blue. Uh, yellow Aja is for healing. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that are going to be more concerned with healing. And then we get to the last Aja, not the least Aja. This is, they're an awesome Aja, the red Aja. And they hate men. That's their defining characteristic. They don't all actually hate men, but that's the, the short and end so of it. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, they're the people whose responsibility has been for at least the last 3,000 years to go out and find, and uh, the term used is gentle, so essentially like basically make it impossible for male magic users to be able to actually use their magic. And, you know... Like, if they're already kind of insane, they stay insane. And, like, since it seems like the way they do it, they, like, almost are effectively lobotomizing them and then they, like, all kill themselves. But, you know. Exactly. They effectively unplug them. So, again, I always talk about the power in terms of electricity. They unplug the men from yeah. the source. And so, yeah. So, the Red Aja, I definitely, like, was reading it. And I'm like, okay, so the Red Aja is, like, the mean misandrous Aja. <laughs> um, yeah. But it does definitely get complicated and there are great characters especially in the later books from the red aja although also some of the like worst character like the character that i would say is the well except for gawin the character that i would say the character who the character who's the most evil character who's not a dark friend i would argue is red aja yeah is so i'm assuming you're talking about Elida. of course um did you just say Elida? i was like yeah i was thinking Elida. That's that's actually the correct uh, pronunciation. I don't want to talk about this too much here because, again, I, I'm aware of how long we're going. <laughs> right, and we're like, we're not going to do a plot summary, and now it's like we've been recording for like an hour and 20 minutes, <laughs> like just talking at the bottom. And, and we're talking about a character that's introduced in chapter 19 of book one. And like, that's when she comes in. It's called Camelin. It's a good chapter. Um, uh, but she is such a well-written character we don't get a pov from her until book seven yeah. up until that point i guarantee as you're reading it you think that she is a dark friend yeah. there's because i certainly thought that was a possibility yeah everything she does 
is the wrong yeah. side. Like, and it, it just turns out, no, she's just making bad decisions. But she's making bad decisions that constantly do it. And she's petty. Yeah. And she's angry. And she holds grudges. And but she's such a jerk. <laughs> I, she's a jerk. And that's what I love about it is because you're sitting reading a character who is not a villain. She's not a bad guy. Because if you're a villain, you're on the side of the dark friend. Right. She's not. She's just a jerk. Right. And I will say, like, I do actually, like, so on the one hand, like, it is this, like, narrative between good and evil. But on the other hand, like, it's not exclusively that. Like, there are multiple sides in a number of places where, like, that isn't actually how it totally maps out. So, I mean, then I think Elida is actually one of the most interesting examples of that. Is that, so the White Tower, Tarvalone splits... And uh, there is uh, Elida, who is the Amerlin of the White Tower because she deposed and stilled the previous Amerlin because she sucks. And uh, then there's a... That's, uh, sorry, Elida sucks. The previous Amerlin was... Yes, that Elida sucks. So she, yes. Yeah, see when the previous Amerlin is great. And uh, then, so there's this White Tower in exile essentially set up and... uh, Egwene ends up becoming the Emerlin of that White Tower, which was awesome, and I was super excited when that happened. So you're saying there's a White Tower and then a White Tower in exile, and you have two leaders of these towers? Yes. Almost like two popes? Yes. Hmm. It's Yeah, they're bas- it basically is the Great Schism. It yeah. Is. Yeah, no, it's totally the Great Schism, uh, which is cool. And uh, yeah, so you have this like Great Schism narrative, and like it turns, and one of the things that's interesting is, uh, you know, clearly because of how the books are set up and because of what we know about the characters, we're clearly siding with the White Tower in exile and siding with Egwene and siding with the people that are working with her. But it turns out that, like, basically, so when eventually they are able to find out and identify the Dark Friends, the members of the Black Aja, they're, like, pretty evenly split. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a weird split. And the fact is that we're following, as you said, we're following the good guys. And the beautiful thing about the way the Black Asha is split is that they're bad. They're bad guys. But they're not stupid. Right. Like, nobody who's in the White Tower is stupid. No. They're all intelligent women. They're all trained. They're all, like, it's 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 a school, a fancy school. Yeah. They're still taught history and English. It's not like Hogwarts where, you know, you there's nothing. no maths class, right? They're still learning regular stuff. But they have their magic classes yeah. and magic lessons that go with it. Um, if men go to the White Tower, they can go to learn to be soldiers because they need to have an army or whatever. But the beautiful thing about it is that we find out in book eight that there's a character. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I'll just say her name, right? Yeah. Um, so it's Sherian, Yeah. Who, for seven and a half books, because she doesn't show up. So yeah, she doesn't show up until book two. So for seven and a half books, because it happens in book eight, she is the nicest character yeah. in books. Sherry seems There's, great. There, I was legit surprised there, about Sherry. And the character that there is, I think you said that there is a giveaway, which I did not notice in any way and was very surprised, is uh, it turns out that Varen is uh, a dark friend in the sense, at least, that she has like formally taken those oaths, but that she's actually, like, that she's a double agent, basically. Yeah. So triple one of agent? the things that Asa die, she's a triple yes. agent. Yeah. So one of the things that the Asa die have is they take three oaths, right? One is that they will never lie, 
and it's an actual forced oath. They can't ever speak a lie. So if I held up the number one and you had taken that oath, you couldn't say it was number two. You'd get as right. far as that's number two and you wouldn't be able to do it. So you can't lie. That's one of the tenets. They're not allowed to kill anybody unless it's the self-defense and they're not allowed to create a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, And then, you know, because back in the war of power, people were making swords that would fire lightning. Right. I mean, you, I mean, people die when that sort of stuff happens. So they they made this one of the rules, right? Yeah. So that people would trust the Ace of Dice. So the idea is that it, people still are mistrustful of them because even though it was 3,000 years ago, the world was destroyed, basically. Right. So people have this mistrust for them. Um, but they have this tree, the three oaths. One of them is you can't lie. Varen lies in book two, right? Now, you have no way of knowing. Yeah, because in like what book five, somebody's like, "Oh wait, haunted Varen say that? That doesn't sound right." <laughs> yeah, and that's the way it's like. It's like, well, that's interesting. And then that character dies, so she yeah. doesn't have a chance to go and follow up on it. Yeah. But even then, you're still like, ah, maybe it was just a miscommunication. Yeah. Yeah, because especially right? by that point, like, if you're reading the books, you're like, I don't know, like, Rand is kind of dumb. Maybe he just, like, misremembered what Varen said, like, <laughs> three years ago. Exactly. And then the other thing about it as well is, because Varen is good. Yeah. But there are other stuff that happens. Like, she shows up as a major character. She's in book two. Doesn't really do all that much in book three. She's there, but she doesn't do a ton. In book four, she completely randomly... Mm-hmm shows up in the two rivers again right. when Perrin goes back to yeah. the two rivers and she's like, oh, I'm just here to collect more young women. Uh, it turns out that the timeline for that doesn't really work up mm-hmm. because she didn't go back to the tower. So right. she obviously got her instructions from other places and she had been instructed by a higher up mm-hmm. in the Dark Friend Society to go to the two rivers. She didn't know Perrin was going to be there. That's why she's shocked to see Perrin. Yeah. Right, the idea wasn't to get Perrin there; it was to try and get Rand. Mm-hmm. People are always trying to get Rand to come, and he's always like, "Nah, I'm gonna let my buddy do it." Because um, it happens like three or four Rand, times. Like, nah, it's hard to kill. Um, I'm good. I'm I'm gonna go this way, but my friend's gonna go that way. Oh, oh, is he dead? Might be. Um, but yeah. Anyway, look, I think we're getting. I think we're getting. I I could genuinely talk about this all day. Wheel time is brilliant. Uh, it's so intricate. Everything that makes sense. I understand that people will have difficulty getting through the first book. I also understand that the first chapter really separates men and women out as being at odds with each other. But Sarah uh, is about as much of a feminist as I know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think she would agree that women are written at least as strongly as men yeah and so actually i'm going to go ahead and like talk a little bit about women and gender so we can kind of move into talking about like some kind of general themes so yeah yeah, so i'm going to talk a little bit about women and gender the first thing is that like i i think the female care i think a lot of the female characters are great i think that yeah i think that's certainly like they are as like the strongest female characters are easily at least as strong as the strongest male characters in terms of uh, you know character development and things like that. 
Um, and I think they're great characters who I like a lot. A lot of my favorite characters in the series are some of the women. Like, Egwene and Nynaeve, like, started out, like, as people I liked and, like, really stayed my favorite characters. Um, yeah, well, Egwene, Egwene's, Egwene's story is brilliant. It's like, so cool. A whole way through book 11, book 12, it's, it's choice. Yeah. It's also interesting because, so we start out in Two Rivers. And Two Rivers is interesting because Two Rivers is one of the nations or cultures or societies that has, I would argue, the most traditional gender roles in a kind of traditional and like what we mean by like, you know, Western European, say, gender roles, that there certainly are more leadership roles officially for women. So Nynaeve, for example, is the the wisdom. And so she has this kind of like actually official role as like, basically it's like she's sort of in charge of the women. Mm-hmm. But that there's certainly like very sharp gender division, that there are groups and things that are for men and groups and things that are for women. And uh, that is how things work and people don't really question it. And one of the things I, I mentioned in the first chapter is people people read it, and if you go online, mm-hmm. you will find criticisms of it, and they're always the most one sided criticisms because I genuinely don't think that you can read even five chapters into this mm-hmm. book or into the series and think that it hates women. Yeah, no, not at all. But in the first chapter, not the first real chapter, because the prologue doesn't features two men then making a mountain. But in the first chapter, you have the women's council or the women's circle mm-hmm. led by the wisdom, and you have the council, which are the men. Yeah. And when the women leave the room, the men say like, "Oh God, women, God, they're just oh, they're going to do this right." That's how men talk, right? If you put a group yeah. of men in a room, they're going to talk when the women leave. They're going to say stuff like, oh, women cause problems. And I've seen this criticism loads of times. And I genuinely think that people who criticize it without talking about the very next set of sentences, mm-hmm. which leaves the men because the door gets closed and we're with Egwene at that time. And Egwene is talking to the women's circle. And the women's circle say the exact same thing about the men. Right. Which is, we're going to let them have their chat for an hour. And then when they come out, they'll do what we want them to do. And the other thing which I think is really interesting is that so to the extent that you have people expressing attitudes that are misogynistic, you do have, I think, a kind of undercurrent of misogyny to some extent in in our three main characters that Rand, Matt, and Perrin all say things, like all have like some amount of like, ugh, women, am I right? In terms of their discourse, like that's very much something that is apparent, especially in the earlier books. Uh, There's also this thing that like they clearly like are unwilling, even when there are women who are clear threats to them, that they're like, oh, I can't kill women. Or when there are women who are clearly military, militarily capable, they're like, oh, I can't let them fight. And, you know, which is also misogynist in my view. And oh, no, that's that's 100 percent. But. I, I get. I, I don't want. I don't want to feel like I'm jumping to your to your to fight with you on this. I think Jordan wants you to read that as misogyny. Oh yeah, I totally agree. Like I think that the way they act is realistic to how a 16 year old boy, which is what they are at the beginning, right? They're 16. Yeah, I think Matt. Matt is 
just ever so slightly younger than he was. Yeah, but it's fifteen. Yeah, so like it was it was gonna be his birthday like the week after. That is again information you don't need to know. <laughs> like I think that's a hundred percent reads true to me as ways that sixteen year old boys who grew up in a fairly traditional gender system would think and talk about women. And I don't think that the and I don't and even though they're the main characters, I don't think that the that the views that they are expressing are meant to be the views of the author. And I think that especially as you go through the books, like I think they even like develop more complicated views about women and gender. Hmm. And that's the thing that I, that really comes across because as a fan of the books and, you know, I never describe myself as a feminist. I'll never describe myself as woke and I won't do anything this year, but I can say that, hand on my heart i'm not a prick right and i but i'm I'm not an incel and it's all voluntary um, but i'm not one of those people who looks down on women or sees something but i remember being a 15 year old boy mm-hmm. living in ireland and if a girl had slapped me i would not have slapped her back mm-hmm. when i'm a young fella and i'm reading about rand I think the first time he kills a, a woman is in, in fact, I know exactly what it is. It's, it's in chapter, it's in book three where he gets accosted by 10 men uh, or nine men and a woman in the yeah. woods and he kills them all without, you know, he's just, he goes into defense mode right. and he ends up killing them. And then he doesn't even realize that I think she was a woman yeah. at the time. But then when he's looking at the body, he's like, Oh my God, I kill a woman. He doesn't shut up about that. And he has this list of like women whose death he is responsible for. So there's like the rare woman that he's actually killed. But then a lot of like women who are basically like, I am taking personal responsibility to like be a part of your bodyguard and would like to fight. And then he's like, oh my God, I'm responsible for her death. Like, no, dude, you're not. Like she's just as capable militarily, if not more so than you are. And she has every right to fight if she wants to. So Rand ends up being the head of the Aiel, yeah. um, uh, who are a warrior race where men and women are equally adept at fighting. Right. Um, to the point where, in fact, most most Aiel men would admit that most because they fight with spears and it involves a lot of agility, that most of the maidens of the spear, as they call them, are going to be better than the men are yeah. because they're better designed to the weapon that they choose. And yet Rand is still sitting there like, no, oh, women can't fight for me. And they're like, dude, these women would fuck you up. Yeah, seriously. It's like, Rand, like, like, you should sit the fuck down and let these women, like, be in charge. Like, come on. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and there is, like, the Aeol are interesting in that, um, on the one hand, it is very clear that there's this kind of expectation or possibility at least for women to be involved militarily. And there's also some kind of leadership roles for women among the wise ones. But however, the clan chiefs are all men. And also that being a maiden of the spear is presented as being incompatible with marriage and childbearing and child rearing. Whereas men can like still maintain a kind of military role, even if they get married and have children. Yeah, and the women, if they, so when they become maidens of the spear, they're said to be wedded to the spear. If they get pregnant, they have to make the choice of becoming a mother or staying with the spear. 
if they become a mother, they give up the child for adoption and they're not allowed to know where the child goes. It it gets taken to a different clan. It turns out that Rand is one of these children. Um, He was uh, the, the son of a maiden. That child got taken away and this is the first time so a lot of the maidens become I, 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 I again I, I've said this a lot of times I love the way it's written a lot of the maidens react to this because a lot of them would have had to have given up right. children at various points so Ram's like their surrogate baby he's like their surrogate <laughs> baby so he comes in at like 17 and he's the first confirmed because they're never told yeah. this is a maiden's baby but he's the first confirmed returned this son here this boy who's 15 16 is a maiden's child and they all suddenly treat him completely different the ones who are roughly his age treat him like a brother and they're like ah you little dickhead whatever blah blah (laughs) the older ladies treat him like a son so like they're literally mothering him and making sure he's got sandwiches in his bag like these are women who as i said would fuck you up oh yeah and yet they're still like oh yeah and they also become really his personal bodyguard and this is a recurring tension that he basically keeps trying to keep them from actually being put in danger and they're like dude absolutely not but yeah but it's interesting because so we then also have a number of societies that are either essentially mostly kind of gender equal or um actually even like women seem to dominate so like the domani like the professional merchants are all or entirely women um Mm -hmm. in andor as we said before like they only have queens they don't have kings and then there's a ton of other kingdoms where like it's normal that like the um the order of succession seems to like have no gender restrictions whatsoever and we have a lot of reigning queens uh throughout the books there are more female leaders yeah. than male leaders. And in most of the societies that we come to, women are at a higher level. And it makes sense in the world mm-hmm. that he's created because 3,000 years ago, men went mad. Right. The women didn't go mad. Every male Esedai, after the breaking happened, or sorry, after they sealed the dark one in, there might have been 5,000 male magicians mm-hmm. or, you know, male ace and I, they all went crazy. Right. And that's what led to the destruction of half of the, the planet, yeah. basically. And so, like, nobody because trusts men, which is fair. So nobody trusts men. So a lot of them have women as rulers. Uh, as you said about the Domini, the women are in charge of, they're the merchants and they do all of the merchant talking. If you look at the sea folk who are basically a society of pirates, all of the ship's captains are women. Mm -hmm. Right. So men still predominate in military roles, but women predominate in leadership roles. Exactly. So each of the countries that we come across, I mean, it's 12. Nine of them start off with female leaders. And the three that don't have female leaders are (laughs) super, super quick. Or have an idiot on mm. the throne. Right? Yeah. Or when we get to Tyr, it's run by the High Lords. Right. And they're all dickheads. And half of them are dark friends. Yeah, they So, like, yeah. It's... Yeah, and, and it is really interesting because, I mean, I... And I really appreciate it because to some extent, like, you know, I, 
I enjoy a lot of things about Game of Thrones, but there's something just sort of depressing about like, I'm going to write a fantasy novel and we're going to definitely have the same like depressing patriarchal gender system that yeah. sucked during the Middle Ages and still exists in like 21st century America and Europe and also still sucks. And like, there's just like a little something depressing about like, oh, we just still have this. And so like, to some extent, I think like that's something valuable about the fact that like you're not writing historical fiction you're writing fantasy is that you are not bound to preserve uh, that kind of gender system that's uh, when we're talking about game of thrones and see it's hard not to to sound like i'm coming across really harsh on it like game of thrones is a well-written set of books the the first four seasons of tv show are really well produced and made TV show. And on gender, I will say some of the women characters in Game of Thrones I think are absolutely brilliant and well-written. The problem with Game of Thrones is that those brilliant, well-written characters 60 to 70% of them are going to be raped yeah. by the end of the series yeah. for no reason yeah. other than, oh, are you shocked yet? Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to happen. Um, like, you're a medieval, or me, you're a medieval. You're a medieval. I'm a medieval. You're a medieval. <laughs> You you made a, a a tweet there last week as we're talking about this or this week as we're talking about this, where you said medieval is not a synonym for bad. Right, in response to the Washington Post argument, uh, the Washington Post article that's like, oh, the handling of the pandemic has been medieval. It's like, no, actually, they did a better job in response to the Black Death than Trump is doing right now yeah. in the United States. So shut the fuck up. And it, and it's not. Whereas a lot of writers writing in this thing just don't get that. <laughs> It doesn't necessarily have to be bad. You don't have to take the headline, which is women were seen as second-class citizens, go, well, I have to make women second-class citizens. Right. Book. That's not how it works. There were queens back then too, guys. Yeah. There were women mm-hmm. who, like, Sarah, you know way more about this than me because I've only read, like, I'm quoting your <laughs> research here. Women were merchants. Women were doing all yeah. of this stuff. And it's refreshing when you're reading Wheel of Time to find so many women in positions of power. And then the other thing that I want to talk about this is Robert Jordan allows female characters to be petty. Yeah. He allows them to be annoying. He, because he's writing them, and like you might say to yourself, oh, what do you mean he allows them? Well, he's in charge of what's going into Mm -hmm. the books, right? The same as George R. Martin is in charge of what goes in the books. And he chose to write an 11-year-old giving oral sex to a 33-year-old man. Nobody made him do that. That is his his decision. And it's also like, okay, I mean, also like you do that and you're like, oh, I had to do that. But it's like, actually, like most marriages were actually like later than you, like he makes these marriages, like he, he makes them so, so young. And like, there actually weren't that many marriages that we have, at least not marriages that we have reason to think were consummated with people under 16. Who were 12. Yeah. It's like, yes, it, we're not, not saying, saying 16 it didn't is happen. great either, but like. It wasn't always happening, yeah. which is what's happening in yeah. Game of Thrones, right? But so when I say that he allows me to be petty, I spent a good chunk of my life writing, reading fantasy novels where the female characters were one of two things. One, sex objects, or two, perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those were your two options. You couldn't have a female character who was an asshole. Yeah. Well, read the Wheel of Time, guys, Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of female characters 
who are just assholes. Yeah. They're not evil. They're, like, even, even if you take our main characters, and I love each of these. They're all flawed. Like, I love them, but they're flawed. Moraine, who is about as close to a perfect character as you can get, keeps secrets for no reason. Yeah. She does double talk because she's taken the oath rod mm-hmm. and she's not allowed to tell a lie. So she double talks a lot because, you know, she's, she's being vague with her answers. But also, sometimes she's just a bit of a bitch. Right. Like, and like Nynaeve and has happens. a temper and often lets it out on people who don't deserve it. Uh, you know, I, I love Elaine, but Elaine, like Min tells her in a viewings, like, so she gets pregnant. Uh, so Rand impregnates her. And Min's like, oh, don't worry, your babies will be born safely. And um, and she's like, oh, cool. So I can do any dangerous shit that I want because it's fine. I love it. Because, like, I know the babies like, will be born safely. So that means that, like, I am protected from any harm for as long as I'm pregnant. And it's like, come on, lady, come on. It's the most male thoughting or th- thought process. Like, I don't know how many times I've read a story where does the chosen one. Yeah. And that means the chosen one goes, well, it says in the prophecy that I'm going to be here. So that means I can't die here. And you're like, yeah, I mean, technically, yeah. But I mean, you could break your back. Right. Yeah. Like she could hit her head and be and like lose all brain function, but like remain technically alive for long enough to give birth. Like that is a possibility. It does not happen, fortunately. This, but like, come on. These are all things that make absolutely perfect sense. Yeah to anybody who's ever met a real person the boys can be dicks about certain things the girls can be dicks about certain things but when we talk about gender and equality and and all this i I just threw my hands up like equality (laughs) um in the wheel of time the one thing that i think a lot of people miss out if they stop after book one or book two is that the best villains in this series are women yeah right grendel is a mistress of compulsion she can she she's described as being an artiste Mm -hmm. in it right she can bend the minds of pretty much anyone she talks to she loves beautiful people so she has all of her servants are beautiful people that she's mind controlled she is collecting kings and queens from this world so the, their, their characters called Forsaken just thinking of as ancient magic users who've been walled up with the Dark One for 3,000 years they've got an axe to grind and she's just collecting beautiful people like this is introduced as like just a minor plot point in the first time you meet her is in book 3 and it's just like well who is this oh, well that's the you know he would have been the king of Ebu Dar right right and you're like wait what <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, and she, that's the queen of Aridoman. She went missing, but, you know, I've got her. And that's, this person who is meant to be the fifth most important of the bad guys yeah. is collecting kings and queens to act as her footstool. Right. Like, that's the level of evil we have in this person. And when people go, oh, well, Cersei did this, and we're like, yeah, but this woman literally destroyed ten countries. <laughs> because she felt like it like it's just <clears throat> all of the, the female characters are evils Leandrin love her yeah. she's the one of the major villains for the first four books um, she's a black Asia she's a bitch she's described as beautiful 
men love her and she's one of the red Azure originally so she, not she has no back. interest in men but she will use them to her advantage mm-hmm. and just toss them aside and one of as we all do Elida <laughs> or Elida that we talked about uh, usurps the Pope's position mm-hmm. Elida um, the an- anti-Pope Elida the anti-Pope Elida <laughs> she is terrible at what she does and she takes it out on people. Like she has, like yeah. if you just imagine. She's very petty. And that's the thing. Yeah. And I was just going to say also like, and that, and that is the thing is that like, I, I like that like she's not, she is somebody who's like, she's not evil. She just sucks. And one of the things that I think, uh, I think it was the Bechtel cast that at some point said like, what we deserve is like representation of mediocre women. And like, I like it. Yeah. And I really like that. Like we have a lot of that. Like we have women who are very like talented and powerful and good at what they do, but they're still very flawed. We have like women who like just suck like Elida. Like she just like, she just sucks. Like she's bad at her job and she's a jerk. Like it's the same. uh, It comes up a lot again, also in fantasy as well. Um, People talking about LGBTQ characters Mm -hmm. and they go, Oh, Oh, it's PC gone mad. Oh, it's 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 just shallow representation. Or the big one, the one that I hate, is when somebody writes down their opinion is, I don't mind. First of all, the fact that you would ever think that your what you yeah. mind is important, shut the fuck. If up. you are a white cis hat white man, then of course you think what what, what you mind is important. <laughs> exactly. It's like I'm, I see. That's the thing is I'm sitting here talking I, I i've talked more than you on this episode sarah and it's something i always tried to avoid when i was co-host because it's your podcast i'll give you a pass i know you love wheel of time and know more about wheel of time than i do <laughs> i hope so <laughs> but the people who say i don't mind that uh an lgbtq plus character has been added as long as they bring something new like we don't have that. That is that apparently is something new. Is that like LGBTQ plus people like deserve representation, and also like there are people in the world who like are gay or bi or or whatever and like or trans, and they just like exist in the world and they're just regular people. Like that's it. They can be there and just be a person. It just so happens that that guy likes that yeah. guy. It doesn't have to be. Oh, I don't mind if they bring in a gay character. You know, as long as as long as there's a different story to tell. No, you can tell the same stories because gay people are people. Yeah. And I like Trans that like there actually are, are like none of the major, major characters, but there are references to queer relationships that is just like basically nobody bats an eye and it's just like whatever. There's one gay character in The Wheel of Time, as in gay man character. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't show up until book 14 and it's thrown away with like, oh, he prefers to come yeah. with men. And you're like... And the guy, but Andrew's response is like, oh, huh, I never knew. Like, I never knew. Like, and that's the thing. Um, he was a normal person. He, he wasn't writing perfect characters mm-hmm. and he wasn't a perfect writer. But he did a lot for showing, as you right. said, mediocre women, mediocre men. There is no superstar. Even our main character, as I said, has flaws. Our main female characters have flaws. Uh, but there's one character I do want to talk about because I don't think I've ever hated a female character in a series of books more than I hate the character of Savannah in The Wheel of Time. She is She's a villain. Man. 
that she's she's mean as well, but she is everything a villainous character should be. She just happens to be a woman, right? right? But all of her decision making is selfish. Yeah. At no, like she does not care about the dark one. She is not about the dark. Yeah, one. she's she, like, she does not give a winning. shit about any of the other shit that's going on. She just wants like her own situation to to get to where exactly. she wants it to be. So we talked about wise women there a little mm-hmm. bit. So in the Aiel, this warrior society, um, the men become clan chiefs, uh, but the women become wise women who advise the clan chiefs and let's face it, tell the clan chiefs what to do. The, like. The the men are in charge, but the wise women are telling. Right, it's a kind of like informal to some extent power, which actually is pretty common in the medieval and the real medieval world. Exactly, Savannah finagles her way into being a wise woman because she knows that's where the power is. Mm-hmm. She convinces her lover Cooladin to pretend that he is the equivalent of. Rand the Dragon Reborn, yeah. which leads to a schism between mm-hmm. them, which leads to a huge war, which leads to millions of things. And she literally does it for her own. Just so power. she can essentially become like queen. Queen. Yeah. That's it. It's not, oh, good versus evil, and I'm picking the evil side. She's just going, there's a power vacuum here. I am going to take that power. Yeah. And it leads to. A ton of stuff involving kidnappings mm-hmm. and murders. Well, because then she does all this fucked up shit to basically like try to like force Rand to marry her. The, the the idea is that Savannah is just a bad guy. Yeah. And it's so rare in fantasy novels to come across a woman who is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And it's not because she was a jilted lover, and it's not because she wants to get revenge because something happened when she was 15. She's a bad guy because she was raised and she's a bitch and she wants to take She's just a selfish jerk. Selfish jerk. And it's so refreshing. And I hated her. Now, I obviously loved... It's like when people say, I hate X character. What they're really saying is, I love that character. Right. The the characters that you love to hate. Yeah. Exactly. Um... Uh, I'm assuming Sarah loved her. Uh, <laughs> no, I know she's awful, but like she's a, but she's like she's a good character. I think she's a really well written antagonist. Um, and and there will be the other thing I will say, like going back to you know we were talking a bit about queer representation. Like it's relatively light, but I also like do think honestly, like it's not bad for a book series that was started in 1990. Like. You know, 1990 to 2013, like, you know, I don't fully give things a pass for the exact time in which they came out, but like for the time in which it came out, you know, the fact that there's any reference to queer sexuality, even if it's really pretty much only women or almost only women, like, you know, it's better than nothing. And nothing is what you get in a lot of fantasy. Very open about his own weaknesses in that area. And yeah, look, there should be gay characters. Mm-hmm. Like, like nobody will sit, anybody who sits there and says, no, there shouldn't be gay characters. Should, there should be. Um, but I, I don't even want to give it a pass. You know, like I've, I've talked extensively about to this with you for the last mm-hmm. 15 months. I love this series more than any other series of books I've ever read. And I'm not, I, I'm not going to try and give it a pass because it should be there. Right. 
I understand why it's not, but the reality is that that is a weakness in yeah, this series. Absolutely. It's not the only weakness in the series. It's not a perfect series, mm-hmm. but at least it's something that we can look at and say, imagine if the Wheel of Time did have right. gay characters. Especially because like, I also think it would be fascinating if they dealt with trans characters. Because one of the things that's really interesting is that, so you have the Forsaken and some of them die and then some of them get reborn into new bodies. And one of them is a man who gets reborn into a female body. But... Hmm you know, every reason to think that this person still essentially identifies as a man and they still use the male half of uh, the one power. When that first got written, or when people first got thinking, because, I mean, again, that book came out in 2001 uh, where we get the character of Halima and Halima is a, a or Osengar and it, it's one. he's one of the first Forsaken who dies and comes back. And people were reading that as an anti-trans message. Uh, yeah, I like, I would say the... Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, it does kind of suck that the only trans character is a villain. I do get that criticism. But I think that the concept that it's gender identity, not the body that is assigned to you, did, was what determines your magic use. I actually think that really does, like, open the possibility that, like, had there been broader trans representation, I actually think it could have been really well done. Well, he because Jordan had this, it, the criticism was labeled that, or was not labeled that, it was was directed on. And again, this is this is the kind of stuff that comes up a lot in criticizing Robert Jordan is people go, oh, well, he's anti-trans because he said that X, Y, and Z. He was asked about this. Like, this is not something that was brushed aside. And he he answered the question. They said, why does Osengar, um, who was Agenor, why do they still use the male source even though they're in a female body? And what he said was, your soul determines what type of source you are. So if your soul is male, it doesn't matter if you're Mm -hmm. in a female body. Your soul is male. You can do whatever you want to the vessel that's on the outside. Mm Mm-hmm. But your soul on the inside is what represents your personal mm-hmm. gender. And somebody was like, well, that's anti-trans. He was like, no, because I believe that if there was a person who was born with a female body and they've got a man's soul, then if they identify as a man, then they're a man. Right. And it is actually, it's pretty clear that the female body was actually not something they wanted or wished for. It was something, it's not like they were born into a masculine body and then transitioned on purpose to a female body. It was inflicted upon them. Um, And they wanted, like their thought process is constantly, I want to get to a male body. Right. And there's, yeah. And as I said, you know, I, I don't think it's done perfectly by any means, but like there are like interesting, like hints at like, gender dysmorphia like uh, you know and as I said like I you know certainly would not want to speak for the trans community that I don't that I do not belong to but like don't worry Sarah I'm a white cis male (laughs) I'll speak for any community So, you know, like, you know, we're both cis people. And so, like, to some extent, you know, as I, you know, as I said, don't want to speak for that community. But, like, you know, especially, you know, as we've been comparing this on a number of occasions to Harry Potter, where there are no trans characters. And also we now know that J.K. Rowling is a transphobic piece of garbage. Like, you know, 
this, as I said, it's not perfect, but it, I think is like in the right direction to some extent, um, you know, in terms of like, like, I think you could, I think it paves the way for if Jordan was still alive or if books that written in this universe uh, were, that took place in this universe were still being written. I think that there is actually like already in universe justification for having a well-written trans character, I guess. It's not written perfectly. Yeah. I mean, I, I joke about being a, a cis male and talking for everybody, but I don't want to talk for anybody. If there are trans people who've read these books and go, I fucking hate this. I 100 Yeah, absolutely. Right? And the, another thing that comes up on online and forums, like, oh, I have a trans friend who loves it. It doesn't matter if you have a trans friend who loves it. It doesn't mean that all right, trans people yeah. should love it. And, you know, I mean, but, I, I really like the representation of female characters. If another, you know, if another woman does not, that is her right. But, you know. Exactly. Um, the, the only reason I even bring it up, and I, I, I stress about how I think the characters are, the female characters are well written, is just because I see it as a very common, um, oh, don't read the Wheel of Time. It's misogynistic. Yeah, and I was very, I was very surprised to hear that critique reading the books, um, because that did not at any point really stick out to me. Because as I said, like there's misogynistic sentiments expressed by some of the main characters, but I don't think that it's ever, I don't think there's ever a clear reason to think that those are the author's sentiments as opposed to sentiments that are realistic for basically some like kind of shit teenage boys. Sarah, we've been. I think we've been recording now for over two hours, so maybe it might be a good idea to break this episode into two. I don't know. I think the four-hour episode is the way we're going in podcasts now, but we we can we can take a break if you want. Uh, you you <laughs> are being very risky, thinking that I'll be able to stop talking about this in only four hours. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe if we were to stop here and then we can pick off in the next um the next episode. From this point in the conversation, let's we can talk about religion and links to medieval history. Um, that sounds good, Sarah. Since uh, since I no longer run the podcast, and I never ran the podcast, what am I talking about? But since I no longer am on the podcast, do you have anything to plug at the end of this episode? Yes. So I uh, would just like to remind all of the listeners that if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review Media Evil on Apple Podcasts. I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. And please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join our Facebook group, which is the one place on the internet where you can also find Ollie. And It is the only place on the internet. I get, well, there's a few other groups, <laughs> but you'd have to find me in Media Evil first. Right. To then find out what other groups I'm in. Exactly. And if you want to find me on the internet, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah F. Decker. And if you have any questions, you can also email me at media.evilpod at gmail.com. So, Ollie, thanks for talking about Wheel of Time with me. Bye. Bye. <laughs>